Blog Talk Radio. This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Sam Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast with the Solink front of the house. And this is Franchise Today for Wednesday, May 15th, coming to you today from the luxurious podcast studios at the Atlanta Tech Park, the very first technology accelerator in Peachtree Corners, just north of Atlanta. Atlanta Tech Park is a global innovation center designed to connect young companies with other companies around the world. And I'll be joined in studio today by Grant Simon and Greg Thomas, managing partners of LSGF Management multi-unit franchisees of Smoothie King, Great Clips, and T-Mobile with more than 150 locations spanning the southeast across the brands. This will be a great interview today, and what a better place to do it than at the Atlanta Tech Parks Accelerator and Global Innovation Center's podcast studio. I'm Stan Friedman, and just ahead of our conversation today with Grant and Greg, the multi-branded, empire-building, dynamic duo with whom we'll talk about what it takes for franchisors today to attract, engage, and actually do business with guys like them. I'd like to first thank 919 Marketing's founder and CEO, David Chapman, and Ralio's Ryan Hicks, this show's producer, for joining us last week to help spin up the perfect recipe for lead generation and marketing in today's fast-paced, ever-changing world of digital reputation management and hyper-local social media. I say that from my good friend, E.J. Mayers, who is responsible for us being here in this studio today, who is standing over my right shoulder taking pictures as we speak. Uh, it's a great topic, and it, there was a lot to try and squeeze into a one-hour discussion. But David and Ryan are tops in their field, and I'm certain we could have spent hours more on this discussion. But remember that this is a once-a-week, one-hour world that we live in here on Franchise Today. But rest assured... We'll be back with deeper dives into some of those topics and may find EJ sitting a- across the table from me in one of those discussions instead of over my shoulder with a camera. Remember, each and every week, we hear from those representing different points on the franchising compass, but our guests all have one thing in common. They've demonstrated the ability to put the word sustainable in front of growth and sensible in front of franchising. And they all come here happy to share nuggets with you from their core competencies. Remember to check out all the links on the Franchise Today Facebook page where time is running out to enter your franchisees into the best franchisee of the USA and world competition. Franchisers don't miss this opportunity to showcase those best in brand members of your franchise families to have here in the States and for that matter, have them showcased around the world. Links to entry forms and videos containing more information about the event can be found at the Franchise Today, pod, or Franchise Today podcast page on Facebook, where you'll find links to the actual registration for the event. And with all of that said, um, I think it's time to, to introduce you to a couple of guys that are, that are the kinds of people that franchisors globally um, wake up every day wondering 
how do I get to know guys like these? So we're going to start the way we always do, even though we typically are talking to franchisors. Today we're going to actually wind back the tape for Grant and Greg, who are going to tell us how exactly the world of franchising found them over what was what I think a haircut. Isn't that right, Grant? Yeah. <laughs> tell us the story about how that came about. So I went to college, of course, and graduated with a degree in finance. I was going to be a stockbroker. I got out of school, took the test, became a stockbroker, but realized I didn't know anybody to sell stocks to, and it was a commission-only business because I was only 22 years old. So decided I wanted to do something different. I um, took a job with a bank because of the finance and really hated it. Six months uh, later, I decided to do something else, um, and I got into uh, my first foray into multi-unit management. I was a convenience store um, district supervisor at the age of, I don't know, 20, 23. Uh, that, that proved to be um, what, what catapulted me later into multi-unit franchising because I, I learned how to, how to manage multiple retail units and um, decided after working for a few years for the convenience store chain, I wanted to do my own thing. I bought a book back in, I guess it was, I don't know, 1989. Um, from the IFA put it out. It was a it was a thick book with franchise opportunities in it, I, and they had write-ups on each one. And I studied it, to you know, combed through it and figured out, um, figured out what I could do and what I can't do. And um, one of them was Great Clips. So I looked into it a little more. I was also a customer of Great Clips and loved it. So I started talking to the, the, the I guess, the stylist. I wanted to get my hair cut and find out about the business. It, it, it seemed like it was a, a great opportunity because uh, they were always busy at the location I went to. And she said all the other ones she knew about were busy as well. Uh, back then, they only had about, I don't know, 400 locations nationwide. Uh, I think they have close to 4,000 today. And um, I actually found a location um, in, in, in Georgia that turned out to be a, a home run. Um, they, 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 I found the location first and then asked if I could be a franchisee. Uh, they said, okay, and it turned out to be in the, in the top 25 in the country. And that, how long was that store operating before you took it? Uh, it was it was a brand, brand new store. New. I, I, it, was a shop, it was actually an absolutely full shopping center. Um, I called the landlord and said, I want to put a Great Clips in that in that center. This is before ever talking to Great Clips. And he said, well, um, we haven't had any turnover, but a boutique just gave us notice. It's 1,200 square feet. I think you, we could do that for you if you'd like. So I called Great Clips and said, I have a 1,200 square foot spot in a great center. And they said, okay. Tell us again what year was that? Uh, 1993. 93, okay, yeah. And that was how many stores ago? That was uh, uh, Great Clips. It was 56 or 7, I don't know. So, yeah. All right. And, and 100 and, I don't know, we, I guess we have about 165 stores now. You said 150, but we keep adding stores. This is what happens. Time, you know, this yeah. is a dynamic world we live in. So that was only about five or six weeks ago that I wrote those <laughs> notes, and look how much has happened since then. So let's, let's have uh, let's time to bring maybe the Greg into the conversation a little bit. Uh, Greg, you and Grant are partners in LSGF. And I love that name. When I first studied on the name, when I heard it the first time, 
was about a month or so ago when we were hosting the Southeast Franchise Forum, and we were going to do a panel that's very much like the conversation that we're having here today, except Therese Tilgen's not here to moderate it. You're going to have to put up with me instead. But when I looked up the name LSGF, I thought, okay, these are probably initials, maybe the their kids or something. I couldn't make any sense out of that. And I got to your website, and I saw life short, grow fast, and I said, these guys are great before I've even heard them. So I'm really happy that you're here today. And Greg, fill us in on the backstory from your perspective as to how not only you got into franchising, but how the two of you partnered up as well. So Grant and I were neighbors in Duluth, Georgia. Um, beer drinking buddies went to Mellow Mushroom, went to Taco Mac every Monday night. And I, I worked very hard at what I did, and I didn't make a lot of money. Grant was in franchising, and I, I got the impression he made some real good money. Um, I asked him what he owned some a few times, and I couldn't remember whether it was great clips, great cuts, super clips, super cuts. I really didn't know. Um, but I was always a little bit jealous. Um, in 2004, I was actually a delivery boy truck driver. I delivered the five-gallon bottled water for a company called Lipsy Water, and I had a net worth of about zero. Um, I wasn't making any money. I wasn't very, wasn't doing very well in life. And regardless, I still had hair and <laughs> I went into a great clips and uh, awful, whatever in Atlanta, Georgia. And I thought the place was great. Sorry. I thought the stylist was great, but I actually thought the place was pretty run down. But I told the stylist, I said, you know, nice haircut, but this place is kind of nasty. <laughs> and she said, it's for sale if I wanted to buy it. And um, I said, okay, great. I have no money. Um, but I left there and I thought about it for a little bit. I didn't really consult with Grant too much. He was just a drinking buddy, and but I went into a um, a bank, and I filled out a application for to get a loan for fifty thousand um, dollars. I might have exaggerated a little bit on the bank loan, um, <laughs> but anyway, somehow or another, I filled out a bank loan, and then I went back and filled out an application to become a franchisee. And I probably exaggerated quite a bit on that. I think I checked the box that said must have a net worth of three hundred thousand. Um, so I checked the box, and somehow. I got approved, um, but I got my first store. I got my first store around 2004. Uh, came up with some out-of-the-box marketing ideas. Out hustled everybody. Um, you know, I used to deliver coupons, put them on the outside of mailboxes between 7 and 9 a.m. I'd drive up, sorry, 5 and 7 a.m. I'd drive up and down the streets and um, slap five-dollar off posted note coupons on all the mailboxes. And if it was uh, if it was raining outside and these five-dollar off great clips posted notes didn't didn't stick to the mailbox. I'd go to the apartment complex. I'd park my car and I'd scale over the security fence. And then I'd run up and down the corridor and I'd slap it outside on the outside of doors. But basically I out, I out hustled everybody and my store became the fastest growing store in the country and it enabled me to buy another one and another one. And then, and then I got into car washes and smoothie Kings. But while Grant, my neighbor was into building new stores and running them, I got into it differently. I couldn't afford a new store. I bought distressed stores and I turned them around. And around 2011, you know, Grant and I continued to drink at Taco Mac Bar. Um, but in 2011, Grant had about a dozen stores, and I had several stores too. We decided we moved out of our own basements and moved into an office, you know, two offices, and shared the rent. And we very much realized that we had opposite skills, and so we kind of just threw in together and created LSGF. The name, by the way, comes from at the end of every one of my newsletters, every one of the emails, every time I send an email or any correspondence with my employees or anyone else. Since I didn't get started in the industry until I was 40, I always wrote life short, grow fast, because I figured I don't have that much time to catch up to the Joneses. And 
um, Grant liked that saying, so he, when we had to form another corporation, he just used the acronym LSGF. So when you put the deals together, or the deal together, and became partners, you were at how many stores, Greg? Um, what was it? Five, five Great Clips. Um, to be honest, we got into another one. We didn't get into Great Clips together. The first one was a, a car wash in Alpharetta, Georgia, that um, somehow or another they went out of business, and I figured out how to, how to buy it on the cheap. And I knew the car, I didn't know what I was doing in the car wash business. I didn't know what I was doing in the hair salon business either, for that matter. Um, but when I got in the car wash business, I knew it was a huge business, the largest car wash in the state, massive. And so I talked to my friend Grant and I said, hey, you want to go in on it with me? So we both threw in, honestly, it's only $6,000. We, we bought it for basically nothing. Wow. And, um, and that car wash really took off and very much surprised, surprised both of us. Um, and I, I built the sales, so I worked on the front and the customer side, and Grant worked on the back end, like getting it, getting a lease done, making it legal. Um, I worked on building the cash, you know, building the customer flow, and we made some money off that. And then we sold it 17 months later and parlayed it and got some great clips, did very well, parlayed the profits, bought more. And then I got into Smoothie King because they kind of ticked me off at whatever. They had bad service at one, so it was a distressed store, so I bought that one too. And Grant and I just continue to, to parlay. I, I wouldn't say parlay it, but we invest, reinvest the profits. So some customers have a bad experience and they fill out a survey. You have a bad experience. You buy the store. I think that's great. <laughs> yes. I think it goes like this and I'm going to change the way you're doing things. I love it. So at the time that you had five or six and this car wash in the mix, how many stores were you at Grant? Uh, probably 12. I Probably 12 great clips. Yeah. So are you able to think back to that inflection point in time where you really charted on a course from where you've gone since, or did that course get born out of the partnership that ensued? Um, let me answer that. The um, things were going very, very well. Um, the businesses we were getting into were doing very well and it just uh, grew from there. Yeah. I don't know if we ever knew how much we were going to grow, but we knew we had to grow. So uh, I think I remember at one time when we, first got together and we bought um, the Greg Clips together after the car wash deal. Uh, Greg saying, we're going to have 50 stores. I remember him saying that clear as day uh, all those years ago. So, uh, and, and in fairness, Grant said, it's not how many stores, it's not how many stores you have, it's how much money you made. I could, he, he couldn't care less about the Yeah, I would trump that and say it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Yeah, right? so, absolutely. But Grant, Grant was giving so me franchisors want to hear about the top line. So, you guys uh, want to know about yeah, bottom. And I'll tell you a little bit about that later, but <laughs> there's our complementary skills. Uh, we got top line and then bottom line. Yep. But, uh, but the 50 store number kind of, Grant didn't think much of it. He wasn't into store counts. And um, we took all our managers on a cruise one time and let them deck. We had a door decorating contest, and someone put, "Oh, we're going to grow to 100 stores." And none, neither Grant nor I was like, "She's nuts," you know. She must have been drinking or something. But it said, "We're going to grow to 100 stores, and it's going to take off." Sure. And anyway, sure enough, two years later, we were over 100 stores, and then we just keep taking off. So I'm sure that there are a great many more people that have an appetite for business development, and they think, "I'm going to get my first store, and then I'm going to do a second and then I'm going to do a third. And any of us that have been around franchising for any length of time know that the economies of scale may work for you for one, two, or three uh, locations. You can tag a couple more locations onto a Valpac or into your advertising or whatever you're doing regionally. 
But your jobs change a lot when you go from being an operator to supporting operators. Talk a little bit to the audience about what it is you've learned and what they should think about and consider if they're out there with those big eyes thinking, I'm going to build an empire too. Talk about the differences in your life and the changes in the roles of your day-to-day when you went from being single unit to multi-unit even before you found each other. Let me, I'm going to let Grant answer that, but let me say this. I never imagined that I'd be a multi-unit operator. I remember when I had four or five stores, I was like, I finally made it. I don't have to deliver water anymore. I can, you know, I can quit my day, you know, whatever. I quit my day job. Um, I never imagined we'd be this big. Um, Is the goal to grow to three and 400 stores? I don't know. I mean, this is just kind of fun at this point. And as long as we're making money, as long as we're having fun, we're going to continue to grow it. Um, It's kind of like a sport at this point in a good way. Um, But anyway, let me. He was going to let you answer the question, right? (laughs) Come on, bring it. So, so for, I mean, first of all, you have to pick a brand or and a concept, a business model that works with multi-unit. There's a lot of them out there that after you're out of your first store, it's, it's not economically feasible to, to, or, or really impossible. It's, it's more of a job. It's a French, you know, a franchise, this finding a business that you can, um, that you can find support for and pull back from the business and work on the business rather than in the business is important. And um, it's just going to be a lot of due diligence uh, to, to find that. And that's what I, that's what I looked for. Um, I, I didn't want to get stuck in a stuck in a retail store in a business. I want to be able to grow. Um, but what, what happened over time and I grew fairly slowly um, the first, I guess, 15 years um, from, I probably only had, uh, I don't know, 18 stores 10 years ago and I've been in it 25 years. Um, what I found over time was you have to get ahead on the infrastructure. You have to build it out. You have to, you have to know where you're going and then you have to build your infrastructure uh, before you get there. And because if you do it afterwards, it's too late. Uh, you're, you're, your operations um, will not be good enough to support those stores and that business. So um, really just figuring out um, how we built our infrastructure and, and part of it is how we put together our, our management company as we became much larger. But early on, it was the decisions about when do you put in a district manager? Do we do it at five stores? Do we do it at 10 stores? Um, and, and, then, and then other support personnel. Who are we using for our outsourcing? How much control do we have? Do we really know what's going on? Um, so considering that those things, um, not out of necessity because things have gone bad, but beforehand because you plan to get there. And I kind of um, think that's a good part of our success is, is um, always thinking ahead. We're going to get more into peeling back the onion on the conversation from the franchisor point of view later in the in the talk but i want to stay focused for this segment of the interview on the things that you do have control over on the franchisee side so we'll talk more later about the zors and what kind of zors should be or should not be um, trying to attract guys like you to their business models but from your end of the discussion the skill set and the difference in talents so you you said you kind of touched on it with with you being top and bottom line oriented, and you've got your bases covered because of the synergies between you. One of you is top and the other is bottom, and together you work really, really well 
because your focus is in marketing and the other in numbers. Talk to me about what else the audience should know about if they're thinking about becoming multi-unit operators like you've become. What are the things or the traits that they need to bring to the more skill sets that they need to bring to the party? And if they don't have a check on that bucket list, what do they have to do first? Well, one, of, one of the biggest skills is having enough money <laughs> to get through to get through it. I mean, you're, you're, I, I see I've seen people where they've grown too quickly. Um, the stores haven't ramped up um, like they expected, and they're out of business because they didn't have the capital to to uh, to weather it. Um, I've seen a lot of people drop out, um, and then somebody else pick up those stores and then have great success in those stores because. Um, they just they they were able to come in at that point and buy it um, as it was ramping. The old saying: the best way to make a small fortune in business is to start with a large <laughs> one. Is that right? So capitalization yeah. and being properly capitalized and probably overcapitalized is better than the other way around. What else? Yeah. Well, I mean, they all have their operating systems, right? That's one of the beauties of a franchise. Um, I'm not saying you can take any personality or any person out of a corporate world or entrepreneur and make them successful, but you are giving them, um, they are giving you an operating system and manual. So, um, if, you know, if they're, if they're willing to follow that operating, proven operating system and, and do it well, typically they can make it. But it's back to the question, the original question, and they're, you know, the franchisor is giving you the operations manual granted, but execution of that manual is on your end. Yes. So my question is, okay. again, the transition from being an operator to the management supporting operations is what happens when you flip gears and become a multi-unit guy. Greg, is that? So, so Greg could answer that. Yeah. He's, he's the guy that goes after distressed properties and typically distressed properties mean bad operators. So we do. He does some things, and he'll, he could tell you about it when he takes over a distressed property, and and when we we've done things dramatically different than the prior operators. And let me um, just to rephrase something. Grant says he's I'm top line, he's bottom line. It's a little different than that. I'm the front side of the company. Um, he's the accounting the the boring side of the, I shouldn't say boring but the, <laughs> what's uh, only boring to guys like you I guys like, like to do what he does they love that when it comes to employees and customers and and those things yep. I handle all of that front end Grant doesn't really like people so he's kind of behind the scenes <laughs> um, he likes lawyers he likes accountants and that kind of stuff I'm, I'm so. still trying to find the perfect business no customers and no employees <laughs> <laughs> no money <laughs> um, as far as uh I guess what makes why do rephrase the correct question why do why do customer where no what I'm I guess what I'm trying to get to is for the benefit of those in the audience who just think that well there's two of them um, I'm saying if the two of you did the same things one of you would be redundant so there are a great many buckets that have to be checked off to be able to execute at the franchisee level like the ops manual that you get same ops manual goes to a single unit operator. But when you're going to be doing dozens of stores, your skill sets and your mindsets have to be changing gears from the days that you operated. If you were just in one or two, now you're in dozens or hundreds. How do you make that work? How do you execute? And what is it that you do? We help the audience understand how that role changes and what it is that's required in order to structurally, scale, to well, let me say to, in a partnership, you have to have clearly defined roles. 
Grant and I know exactly what areas of the company we're going to be managing. And we, we might not always agree on everything, but we respect that, you know, if we have a complete disagreement at the end of the day, if it's dealing with the lease, I bow to him. If it's dealing with marketing or people or the, you know, the hiring or any of that stuff, I take control of that. Um, a lot of the franchisees out there, when we take over a distressed store, I find that um, they might be following the operating manual, but they don't understand how to treat people or they don't understand how to do true marketing. I mean, it's one thing to read a book. It's another to execute it. Or they might not understand diversity and the, and the greatness of diversity. They don't, they don't understand how to pay people properly or motivate people properly or inform people, people properly. And you really, in order to be successful, especially with more than a dozen stores, well, actually, even with one or two stores, you have to kind of be a jack of all trades or at least respectful and understanding of all the little trades that are out there. Um, so you've got, you've kind of touched on something that, that I think is every bit as important as the name or the brand name in front of the store and, or on the sign. It's about people. And so franchisors have a culture um, and they should be very sensitive to protecting their culture and attracting people to it that are of like mind. You're operating how many locations with how many employees? Once again, how many people on your payrolls? 1,200. Yeah. 1,200. We have a 54 Great Clips, 103 uh, T-Mobiles, close to a dozen Smoothie Kings, and a few other brands. So I dare say that as a franchisee or as franchisees, your payroll's larger than most franchisors, oh, yeah. and you have a culture to protect and, and to manage, and literally you have an even greater task in hand because you've got to take a single corporate culture across multiple brands. So... Talk to the audience about that and how important that is and the people side and the recruitment and retention side when you're growing a business your side, your size. How much focus do you guys put on that? Each business really kind of has its own culture. Um, a lot of times it's developed by the brand themselves or the founder. Uh, T-Mobile is a sales culture uh, and service. Great Clips is more of a service business. Uh, smoothie King service business. So the culture has to be a little bit different. You're diff you're working with different, um, you know, millennials versus, you know, other people. So you have to figure out how to motivate them. But Greg, Greg's the uh, motivational guy. So he, he's, he's the one that builds the culture. So do you have a full-time person or is that you, one of your many jobs? I mean, how many Hats do you guys wear? And so are you the HR department as well? Oh, God, no. Chief um, people officer? <laughs> we, have, um, we have a vice president, um, vice president of HR, a vice president of accounting, a vice, you know, we've got a group of vice presidents. Um, as far as what my roles are, though, and as far as the culture, Grant's got a good point. Each one of the different brands has a different culture. I mean, T-Mobile is absolutely very, very different than the hairstylist, the, the beauty industry. And that's very different than the restaurant industry. But one of the common denominators in all of these businesses that LSGF does, we honestly treat our employees with respect. And that's so easy to say, but it's, um, we are constantly teaching, training, developing our, our employees. We share all kinds of information with our employees. Most other franchisees think this is wrong, but I tell my employees how much it costs to build a business. I tell them how much it's doing in sales. I tell them how much we're doing in profit. I share the information. I treat them. Uh, I want them to, I, I want them to have all the information. The smarter my employees are, the more productive they're going to be. And that is counterintuitive. I don't, I don't think that many, there's not a lot of franchisees out there that share information with their employees. We share it with everybody. And I think that it makes us a stronger company. And I think that's our culture, sharing information, um, developing them. 
And yeah. speaking of speaking of employees, we hear all the time from IFA and from franchisors about joint employment issues. Um, can you address that from your point of view as franchisees? Any impact on the way you're running your business? I think the answer is zero. I, I think the I think the I think the franchisors have changed a little bit on um, how they communicate, but besides that, really has, haven't noticed it. All right, we're going to take a break for a moment and come back and dive more deeply into how you guys continue to scale and grow and how you can help our audience learn those ropes so that they can benefit from the experiences you've already enjoyed. With that, we'll take a break and be right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. And Franchise Today, this segment brought to you by Solink, a company that provides amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, when I describe Solink, I describe what they've done for loss prevention as the equivalent of what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made these tools smarter. Whether you operate a single unit or, like today's guests, are operating a multi-unit empire, or if you're the franchisor or an executive of a retail or restaurant brand, with unit-level economics on your mind, you need to learn more about Solink. Once deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front and the back of the house, and utilizing its gold standard algorithm creates reports that direct your attention to the very specific video clips it's captured so that you can view these events in real time. This eliminates the need to review hours of tape to identify those situations. And what makes Solink best is that it does all of this heavy lifting utilizing existing point-of-sale and security equipment. No new hardware needed to put Solink to work for you. As always, find out more about them online at solink.com. That's www.solink.com. FRM Solutions is also responsible for producing and presenting our podcast weekly, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communication to and from prospective and existing franchisees, including texts. Legal and compliance is simplified as well with FRM's document management, and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost. No excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So, guys, take us from here to the place where our audience can learn how and why it might be a good idea to be a partner when you're growing a business like yours, and sometimes maybe not so much. <laughs> I mean, I think that the fact that you've grown a business as you've, as you've done it is unique enough that you've done it as partners. Um, that has to take some conscious dedication and 
most partnerships just simply don't work, do they? Yeah, uh, probably not. <laughs> I've actually had a couple that have not. So how does that magic come together for you guys? I mean, obviously, you know your roles and you stay in your lanes and you respect each other's skills yeah. and talents, but there's a lot more to partnership than that, isn't there? Well, there's, yeah, there's a few things. Um, the, the number one most important thing is make money. So if you're losing money, partnerships don't typically don't work out. If you're making money, they have a good chance or they have at least a chance. So if one person can't eat <laughs> two or three is exactly. probably not a good idea. Um, you know, and you touched on it uh, about the complementary skills. Greg and I um, are, are good at different things. We stay in our lanes and um, we respect each other on that. Um, I think it's always um, being willing to uh, accept that there's no one issue too big to ruin a partnership. Um, and as long as you have the same goals um, for the future, any individual issue out there, you know, you just got to agree to disagree and just and just defer to the other. And I think we do a great job at that. Um, you know, when you when you get a couple really stubborn people and they can't see, um, you know, they can't see what the forest through the trees and understand where they're going, they can get caught up on on little little things. Another thing, of course, is integrity. Um, if, if you don't have an honest partner, you know, uh, it, it, it's, you know, sooner or later it's going to come out, on, and um, you have to you have to always do the right thing and be respectful um, of your partner and and uh, make things fair. Greg, anything to add? Um, as I said, most partnerships that I've seen don't work. Um, I wouldn't recommend getting in business with your with your best friend. That's in, unless they have completely different skill sets. Um, I do a lot of I talk a lot in the um, cosmetology industry, and whenever they want to graduate, all of them said they're going to get into business, and all of them want to be in partnership with their best friend. That's the worst. That's a recipe for disaster. So, um, Grant, and my partnership started a little bit differently, but not to go back too far, but even though he owns some stores outright and I own some stores outright by myself, underneath all of the, the ownership plans within LSGF management, there are some stores that I own by myself and Grant treats them as if they're his. There are some stores that he owns and I run them as if they're mine. We run it uniformity, uniformly, uniform, whatever the word is. Um, but anyway, the partnership works very well. And as far as the integrity, oh yeah, that, that's incredibly important. Um, you got to be honest with each other on everything. Transparent in every way. So let's talk about the management side. So what kind of support services have you put together to support, you know, 150 plus, 160 plus locations? Uh -huh. um, so I'll take that one. Uh, well, basically we've put together a management company, LSGF Management, to support the different brands. Um, the people who work for LSGF Management um, do things that aren't brand specific. So that we have field staff um, that don't cross brands and they're specific to the brands. But um, for the back end, uh, we have our HR department. So we have a, a SHRM certified uh, top-notch uh, vice president of human resources. Um, we also have an HR generalist. We have a benefits person. We have a payroll person. Um, we have a, another human resource assistant. So we have, we have uh, that. So because when you have 1200 employees, um, there's, there's, there's a lot going on and, um, you know, 
we, we waited until uh, I guess about four years ago to 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 even start our HR, and it was kind of already too late. That's the one area I kind of almost missed the boat and could have put me out of business, but you know we we made it through. Uh, finance department. We have a um, director of finance and accounting. She's also a CPA. Uh, we have a controller. Um, we have three accountants. Uh, we have an accounts payable person. Uh, we have, because we've grown so much, we've actually, sometimes I feel like we're a construction company. We have a, a construction department. We have a uh, director of uh, facilities and, and construction. We have a, a construction project manager. Uh, we have maintenance techs um, that, that that work for us. Uh, we have, we have real estate. We have real estate broker on our staff. We uh, and we have IT. Uh, so that co- kind of covers all the different pieces of the business, uh, one way or another, for support. And um, you know, because we're so big at this point, we have so much revenue coming in. We're able to get really top talent. So that's. That's one, you know, if, what, once you get over the hump, you know, Greg and I aren't that, we each know a lot of, some about HR, some about finance and accounting, some about IT, but the people we bring in, you know, are, are true professionals. And that's when our um, operations started getting really good. Um, the infrastructure for the specific brands is, is different for each brand. It depends on what kind of support they need um, as far as the field staff, as far as managers, district managers, uh, trainers, that type of thing. And what let, I me hope- add, let me add something yeah, to, please. to all of the LSGF people, um, our corporate office people that Grant just described, they report to Grant. Um, the people in the field, which is every hairstylist, every smoothie maker, every manager, area manager, general manager, um, report to either me. We actually have a third partner by the name of Lou Provost, and basically Everyone in the entire T-Mobile brand reports to Lou. Everybody in the Great Clips and Smoothie King brands report to me. The office people all report to Grant. So it's a a different type structure. I guess it's similar to how Focus Industries used to do it with, uh, what is it, Moe's and... Oh, Focus Brands, yeah. So, I mean, they had a corporate office that did certain Mm -hmm. things, and then they had a field. I I think that's kind of how we're set up. I think what I'm hoping is that the audience is paying attention and... As there's somebody out there who is thinking to themselves, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to go from one to 200 or one to 100. Um, these building blocks don't just fall into place. You guys have departments with oh, yeah. more people than some franchisors have on their entire teams. And I guess the um, if I was giving an admonition, it would be be careful what you wish for. If you wish to do what these guys have done, it's going to take infrastructure, it's going to take experienced people, and it's going to take quite a bit more than the talents it took you to get to one, to two, or even three. But from there on, life changes, and unless you're living the same life that these guys are with complementary skills, you need to have an internal infrastructure in place that's proven first before you try to go out and hurt yourself instead of build the empire that you'd hope that you could achieve. I want to flip gears in the time that's left and move on to the franchisor side of an equation that involves guys like you. Because while there are probably a great many franchisors too that are with big eyes thinking, you know, I want, I want guys like these as developers in our system. I want guys like these to come and, 
and buy, you know, 20 licenses of my brand. Why don't you talk a little bit to the audience about what you look for in a franchisor organization as you've grown to three franchise concepts and probably will go to more. Um, what do you expect from the franchisor that is, is an absolute requirement, not just that it would be nice to have, but what are the requirements? So, so first of all, they have to, like I said earlier, the uh, business model that works with in multi-unit, in, in the multi-unit environment that we can grow uh, and that we can expand quickly. Um, at this point, we can't get into a brand and only do a few stores. We have to. So you're talking about available territory. So so real estate's the number one thing. So right? here's a dichotomy, right? Because typically a brand that has available real estate is a less mature brand that may not have the other pieces and parts that are essential. So, so what typically happens with those is they'll find an area or um, some other large franchisees that they probably would like to, them to exit the system. Um, they'll put it on a kind of a little bit of a platter, make an introduction and then say, if you, you know, if you take this, we can, we can hook you up with another franchisee and then we can give you this territory to kind of build out. So it, uh, the, the mature ones, typically you're going to have to take over operating stores or buy somebody uh, or, or even uh, sometimes distressed um, with, with the new uh you know, non-mature brands, you're going to, with the non-mature brands, you know, you're going to have to build from scratch and open stores and you're going to get up, but you can get all the territory you want. So it's really finding that business model that, that works in multi-unit environment and also is uh, profitable. Um, I, I really look at the margins now and, and, and uh, probably shy away from some of the brands yeah, it's just too tight. Uh, they might be okay, but it might just be too tight um, to to real to take out some of the market risk. So, requirement number one is you've got available territory, and your unit level economics makes sense. What else is a requirement for you to talk with a franchisor, or for them to be ready for you? So, so occasionally, um, well, I'll find something that seems good, but then I'll read their FDD and they have liquidated damages or some crazy thing um, language in there, and um, some of them will just say no, that's in there, and we're not, you know, we're, we don't enforce it, but we're not going to take it out. And I and I typically would run from those. You know, when I first got into franchising, I really didn't read the lease too well. I didn't didn't read the FDD very well either. I just signed the paper when we had when I had one store. Um, today we're we're exploring another brand. We're, we're looking for a fourth leg to our stool, but we read every page of the FDD. It's not just liquidated damages. It's it's um, how you know how long the term is, the renewals, um, our rights, their rights. It has to be a mutually beneficial FDD. Um, item 19s, we like item 19s. We want you know we want to make sure the thing makes money. Um, the other thing, there's a lot of FDDs out there where there's a massive transfer fee. I, I really strongly believe that the franchisor ought to make their money on the royalty the 5%, the 8%, whatever it is, not on all these um, additional costs. Uh, that's important to me. One of the other things is when we're looking at brands, it has to be a brand that um, we're not embarrassed to own um, or afraid to own or, you know, we want to be, we don't want to embarrass our employees. We don't want to get into something that's too risky, um, too risque either. All right. So. And if the requirement is for us to go fly to, I don't know, Oregon and spend two months in training 
and they make no exceptions as the operating partner. We're not going to do it. I mean, we we just can't do that. We sent we sent competent we'll send competent people to go through that program uh, to do it. But some of them just they they dig in on certain things um, that that aren't possible for for a large franchisee. So what, does that not trigger for you? Um, is that not a teachable moment where they should learn that? Some of their requirements are things that are going to keep them from doing business with guys like you. Yes. Um, protection of the brand is something I respect and appreciate, and I think that it's all too important that everyone at every level understands that you're all stakeholders in the protection of that brand. But when rigid requirements about who's coming to train, when you're not going to be the guy who's standing behind the counter or cutting the hair, um, that would make no sense. Right. So that yeah. becomes a, a bit of a yellow flag yeah. for you that says this might not be the right one. When I got into Smoothie King, they said, okay, if you want to get into this, you got to come out here and go to, through two weeks of uh, training. And I said, no, see you, bye. Um, I said, I'll come out there. I'll spend one day, maybe two, and that was it. And they said, we'll have to do something custom for you. I was like, that, that's fine. That's what, what you want me in the brand. I'm not going to go through management training and have you teach me how to take an order or teach me how to make a smoothie. So I don't know anything about cutting hair. I don't know anything about making smoothies or Washing cars or any of these other things, I know how to run business, own and run businesses. And we and we know how to hire very competent people that, that can do that. So the same way as the role of the franchisee changes with multiple units, the mindset of the franchisor needs to change as well in terms of who it is he's having a conversation with, and what it is you're going to do with the brand in the territories that they award you, fully knowing that you're not the guy who's going to be running the stores. So they should be making those accommodations in their approaches to you. And that would find more engagement is what I'm hearing on your part. If they are tied into that and understand that, then you're kind of on the same page. Are there other things that are deal killers like early on like that, that you speak to? Um, just to talk specifics, I guess this um, in the Smoothie King brand, when, when I got into it in 2008, I say I, Grant and I, um, when we got into it in 2008, five or 600 stores, but they were set up for mom and pop operators. Right. They do one or two or three owner operators. I was never, Grant and I already had 30 or so stores with freight clips, 30, 32, something like that. Um, when we bought our first store, in order to run payroll, we basically, not basically, we had to go to the store and run the report, or we'd have to call our manager and say, fax me the payroll payroll, so I can, so I can write checks. Um, their systems were not set up for multi-unit operators. All of the emails only went to the store. So if I had a corporate office, I couldn't get emails from corporate. They couldn't communicate with me. I couldn't run reports. Um, they also had some archaic marketing ideas that um, I didn't think worked, and I kind of had a different skill set or knowledge. Um, but they were not set up for multi-unit operators. So when we got into Smoothie King in 2008, we bought it, built it up, and then sold it, and we did it again and again and again. But we never wanted to have more than one store because – because they weren't set up for it. It wasn't until 2015 when a, when the franchisor was bought out and the new person came in and said, hey, instead of all these owner-operators, I'm going to set up my systems to go after multi-unit operators. Um, they completely changed all their systems, and now their target is the bigger franchisees. So now instead of having one store and selling it, um, you know, will we get 10, 20, 30 stores very quickly here? Probably, you know, as long as the cash flow is there, the profitability is there. But the franchisor changed to suit 
multi-unit needs. And I know that there was a robust portion of the discussion when you and Greg Voinovich were on the panel for the Southeast Franchise Forum here in Atlanta last month around how fuel support and operations are managed. And so it makes nothing but sense to me, and I can't remember, Grant, if it was you or Greg who, who brought this discussion forward on that panel, but the difference perhaps between having one person as your point person from that brand, no matter where your stores are or where the territories are, instead of having three or four or five or more of geographically-based field support people. How important is that to you? And especially when you're multi-branded, you're, you're dealing with that across three brands. So talk about that a little bit to the franchisors that are listening that may not have had that aha moment yet. Yeah, well, um, again, it, it it, it depends on the maturity of the brand and what kind of support they already have. But when Greg and I are talking to a, the, the franchisor, you know, we need to talk to somebody with, um, you know, that's not just fresh out of school and doesn't really understand business. Um, they're fine for um, supporting the stores and doing their specific duties, but we, we need to converse and, and, and talk to uh, people that have uh, more you know, that understand the brand, the higher um, management. Um, so we've had, you know, 20, nothing personal millennials, but we've had 23, 24-year-olds, you know, come in and advise us, you know, how to run a, you know, run a, run a P&L. And, um, you know, we, we, we think we know how to do that part at least. We, we do need coaching on, on brand-specific things once in a while or understand um, new initiatives, but... Um, for the most part, um, it's, it's matching up the right person with the right job um, and, and what level of, of, of our operations they're dealing with, whether it's, you know, uh, the store level, our district manager, you know, us, maybe our, you know, maybe even our HR team. Greg, anything to add to that? Um, the other thing about when you get over 50 or 100, 150 stores, whatever, our, our time well, our, everybody's time is valuable. I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, but I don't have, I don't talk on the phone very much. There's only so many hours in a day. I will not read long emails. If a franchisor is going to send me novels, I'm going to push delete. Um, <laughs> that's not the right thing to do, but I just don't have time to read novels. So when, when anybody communicates with Grant or I, it really, not from a legal standpoint, but from a communication standpoint, we don't do phone calls really well anymore. We don't do text really well anymore. What we really respond to well is bullet point right to the point. Um, get your point across quick. You know, how do we, how do we, how do we make progress in one minute, you know, and move on? So if I'm working with a franchisor, it's got to be concise. How do you guys feel about um, site visits and how somebody comes in maybe once a quarter to, to look at the stores and to, uh, see the correct point of purchase and everything is displayed. We, we love that. I Should love that, that be a different person though than the coach that you're talking about? Should there be two different people or t somebody at a different level dealing with you on the business side as compared to somebody making well, let me, certain? Let me answer that on a, from Grant and my standpoint. Um, Hit a nerve here. You both want to talk about this one. <laughs> well, no, we're, Grant and I are franchisees. When we speak, when we communicate with the franchisor, we understand there's department heads and stuff, but when it comes to selling us a brand, we should really be talking to the C exact, you know, C level executive or something from the field. We love it when the franchisor comes out there and inspects us. 
um, inspects our store, checks our quality, checks you know, checks our systems, makes sure we're following the brand standards. We're paying um, for that, right? Yep. But we, we do want not, that. <laughs> yeah, but they should not expect us to go out there. I mean, Grant hasn't been to half his stores. Right. I mean, they're they're very well run, and he's got you know, we have great people out in the field running them. But if they want to do a store visit and they say, hey, the franchisee needs to be there, sorry, we're we can't be there all the time. On occasion, I can be, you know, but anyway. But it's back to the point again about is this the right franchisor for you to be tied up with if they don't understand that the role of the franchisee is going to inhibit him from being on site as a single unit operator would. Shouldn't be asking that of you. They're actually asking you to do something that's not in the best interest of the brand or you as operators. Did yes. you have more to add to that, Grant? No, not really. I go to the stores all the time, but I don't. I don't really want the franchise either. I go there for my own needs. I want to motivate them, teach, train, and develop them. And um, I have different goals for my employees than the franchisor. But the franchisor, I have. I really like it when they go to my stores and help us become better at everything. What's one thing that you wish, if you could rub the genie out of the lamp, and say there's one thing that would make a franchisor relationship with somebody at your level of business smoother, better? Um, more flexible, what would it be? I think I stumped them. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad question. You think? <laughs> I always think that there's that's the one thing if you could just change this or if you could just do this. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if I could go back, I would, I would have bought or, or taken every single Great Clips location I, I could. Uh, back in the day, you know, back 15, 20 years ago when they were going to 400 to 4,000. I look at some of the ones that I passed on, you know, and kind of kick myself. You know, I move on, but um, I, I wish I would have jumped in deeper earlier. And that's a, Well, that's about as good a testimonial as anyone <laughs> could ask for. If I'm in the home office up in Minneapolis or wherever that is right now, I'm going high fives. Thank you, Grant. I will, I will say that the um, – the thing that we very much look for in, in any franchisor, we have to trust them. Um, Great Clips has been a, a phenomenal franchisor. They care about my profitability. Um, Smoothie King, the old Smoothie King, I don't think um, was as trustworthy. The new Smoothie King is, you know, the, the top brass at that company is very trustworthy, and I love that brand. Grant and I are actually looking to get in. T-Mobile's great, too. Um, but Grant and I are looking to get into another brand. One of the first things, aside from an FDD and a good item 19, is we have to trust the franchisor. It, you know, we're trusting if we're going to invest millions of dollars, we need to make sure that it's invested well. And, and that goes back to your question: um, What do you look for in a franchisor when you pick them? Our values need to match up with their values. I mean, we we have our our established set of values for LSGF management, and we all, you know, we, we spent a lot of time coming up with them. If they don't match up, we're not going to sell, you know, we're not going to sell snake oil. Right. Um, we're, you know, it's got to be a, uh, have a, they have to have a good reputation. They have to have solid people that, um, behind their leadership. And, and they, you know, they have to be, it's, it's, it's paramount. There's another thing you kept saying, um, why would a franchisee want us? Um, you know, a multi-unit franchise. Sorry, why would a franchisor want us? My company, Grant and I and Lou, we're not right for every franchisor. Um, we would be a bad match for a lot of those franchisors out there. It has to be a match both ways. Right. I mean, if if they're a startup operation and we know a lot, uh, let's say we have a lot more experience with them in real estate, and they don't want to change their ways. I mean, we're not the right franchisee for you. So um, it has to be a match both ways. 
we're definitely not right for everybody. I'm going to take a stab at another one that may come up a goose egg here, but if there was one question that I haven't asked you guys today that you wished I did, what would that be? You're going to goose egg me again? Come on, Greg. What have you not asked us? What about charitable work or charitable contributions and nonprofit side of you? Oh, it's a, that's a completely off topic, but I love the whole charity side of things, and this is one of the reasons I love the Great Clips brand. Um, just a quick little example. A few of the Great Clips franchisees, let's say the Atlanta Co-op, used to support something called CMN, Children's Miracle Network. I'm not used to. They still did. When I became co-op president, um, I didn't like the way we were collecting the money. So I came up with a different idea. Instead of just saying, would you like to donate a dollar and we'll put a balloon on the wall? I said, that, I don't like begging for, begging for money. I do like the Children's Miracle Network um, charity, and I want to raise money a different way. Great Clips let me come up with my own idea. So I, instead of asking for a buck and saying, we'll put a balloon on the wall, we say, would you like to donate a dollar, get $2 off your next haircut? So I basically created a, I sold a coupon, and instead of raising $20,000, the Atlanta market raised 90000 the first year. Yeah. Then it went national, and it, it is a national program with Great Clips Incorporated now, and we raise over a million dollars a year. All it was was a silly idea. It was my idea. But instead of 20000 to raise a million, Great Clips, not every brand, not every brand wants to listen to their franchisees. Great Clips absolutely did, and they did it on other – it's not just one charity. We've done several of those things, and every franchisor out there can steal that idea. I mean, whatever charity is important to you, quit using your own money. Use your customers' money and get your customers and your employees engaged in your charity. It sounds like the McDonald's story to me where some of the greatest ideas that were born at McDonald's were born out of the communications between franchisees to the franchisor – not just the other way around. Guys, this hour has just blown by. I can't believe we've come to the end of the road here. But um, I believe this audience benefits greatly today from the nuggets that you have shared. And we wish you continued success and hope that the next time I see you at an IFA or a real estate convention somewhere, I slip up and say there are 160 units. And you say, no, we're at 220 or 230 now and that uh, your good fortune continues to grow. It's no accident that it's happening. It's evident by all the things that you've shared here today. So Grant and Greg, thank you so much for appearing with us today. And until next Wednesday at noon, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the very best of all things franchising and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solution, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.